right. Well, before we get into the word this morning, um, Gracie, Cheryl Claus would like you to know how much she appreciates you leading worship right now. So, um, and Cheryl, Gracie says that she loves you. Um, well, I have a couple of announcements that I wanted to share before we get into the message. We're going to be looking at 1 Kings chapter 19, if you want to turn there. If you are on the page on the website, uh, you can scroll over it. I also linked the text if you want to click on it. Um, so, uh, the Sunday morning worship link, I don't know how long we're going to need to be uh, using this. Um, this is all kind of uncharted territory for everybody, but what we've tried to do for anybody that maybe uh, clicked on here through Facebook or just through following the YouTube stream, um, we've designated a page on the website where we're going to have the song lyrics, um, some uh, questions about the message, the text, and all of that in just one spot. So if you... Um, want to make use of that, we're going to continue to be updating that. Um, people have been asking, what about community groups meeting since we have not been meeting here at the building? As of right now, we don't um, feel the need to uh, make a call about community groups. My community group meets here at the building, um, so we called ours off, and I know that another one um, who meets at the building, the Wednesday night group, has decided the same, but uh, we would like to give latitude, just be safe and, um, you know, be, uh, if you have any questions about what to do with community groups, give a call, but uh, this, you could really leave it up to the conscience of your own group uh, at this time. Also, um, foundations, that was set to start March 26th, stay tuned, the kickoff might end up being pushed back but you can actually learn more about it on the uh, service uh, page, and you can register as well. And um, I guess the best that I can say about just knowing what's going to be going on on Sunday mornings and throughout the weeks, um, we're going to be staying in close contact with our networks. I was supposed to actually be in Colorado this weekend. Marcy and I were supposed to be flying out um, Friday, but we canceled that trip for uh, obvious reasons, but we were going to be joining a couple of our network churches who have also canceled their services this morning. Um, we're just going to remain in touch with our public officials, um, stay in tune to the news, and also be connecting with other uh, churches within our network. And we will uh, do our best to get you guys information and to put it out through as many means as possible. If you are watching the stream and you are not signed up for our newsletter, um, just comment on uh, the Facebook feed or whatever and we could get you signed up for our um, pastor's letter that comes out that we'll probably be having some more updates early in the week. So with that, um, for anybody who would uh, like to use the opportunity to worship the Lord through their tithes and offerings. We have an online giving link uh, also set up on the service page. And uh, now we will jump into God's Word. If you would open up, like I said, the First Kings 19. 
this is this is really hard. So if I sound like I'm nervous, um, I am because this is this is freaky. You did a great job, Grace. I'm like really weirded out um, up here. Uh, well, I'm gonna actually uh, just pray about that, and um, also uh, just about prayer. This day has been uh, called a national day of prayer. Uh, I have noticed that there is some chatter going on in the YouTube uh, feed. If there's anything that you guys are in need of prayer of, um, you can comment on there, and I'm sure people would love to be praying for you. I also put my email on the uh, page link, so you can email any prayer requests. A couple of people have sent some over already and know that we will be praying for you. And with that, let me pray. Jesus, I just ask that you would bless the preaching of your word, uh, give clarity, and um, God, just meet us, Lord. We need, we need you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this morning, I am going to be talking about one of my all-time favorite passages. I had the opportunity to uh, come in and be the only one here, so I get to decide what text I was going to be uh, preaching on, and I really enjoy 1 Kings chapter 19. It's just so true to life, it's so real, um, and it's so encouraging. The, the thing that I've been asking of the Lord is, Lord, encourage your people, um, mobilize your people, show us how to encourage your people. And this passage, 1 Kings 19, this comes right after you see one of the toughest, boldest moves of any of the prophets of the Lord. And he is at his most triumphant time, just had his most triumphant victory in the name of the Lord. And we're about to see him go from victorious to this place of being in a discouraged funk all within the course of a couple of verses. If you're familiar with the previous chapter, Elijah had called out all of the prophets of Baal, and it was Elijah versus 450 prophets of Baal up on Mount Carmel, and he's saying, let's see whose God is really God. And he puts Yahweh up against the test of the Baal worshipers, and Yahweh demonstrates with manifestations of just power that he is the true God. And then the 450 prophets of Baal are slain. And you just see this prophet of the Lord calling the people back to the heart of the Lord. And, um, and he is just riding high. So in chapter 18 ends, the last thing you'd expect in chapter 19 would be to see this triumphant warrior prophet cowering in the bushes in fear. But that's how our story goes, right? When Elijah has his most triumphant victory, in the very next scene, we see him running away from the queen and hiding in the woods. And at first, it makes you pause because we certainly don't expect it. But as we allow the true humanity of this character's story to sink in, I think that we'll be able to identify with Elijah. At least I know that I can. And I think that there is a lot to learn from this story. Remember, when you read the stories about these people in the Bible, these were not superheroes. They were people just like you and me. I'm really praying that if there's anybody here this morning who's been battling with a spirit of discouragement 
that you would uh, leave the time of uh, streaming in with us this morning deeply ministered to by God's Word and by His Spirit. So this morning I want to share with you four ways that we could see discouragement play itself out in Elijah's life and four ways that we see God deal with Elijah in the midst of his discouragement. So we see our first lesson right off the bat as we look in 1 Kings 19, and that's that sometimes... Some of our greatest discouragements happen right on the heels of our greatest spiritual triumphs. Look with me at verses 1 through 3. It says, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed the prophets with the sword. And Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do more to me. And more also, if I do not make your life as one of them by this time tomorrow, then he, Elijah, was afraid. And he rose and he ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. So if you look at the end of chapter 18, Elijah had just defeated the dominant religion of the day. He had just prayed and a three and a half year drought that had come upon the nation of Israel had just ended through Elijah's prayers. And the very last verse of the chapter tells us that the hand of the Lord was on Elijah. I think that's something we would like to all hear said about us. The hand of the Lord was on Elijah. But as chapter 18 ends and chapter 19 begins, something happens. The the king and queen of Israel Jezebel and Ahab, they get really upset over Elijah's exploits for the Lord. You know, they had gone all in on this Baal worship thing, and they were not very happy with Elijah's destruction of their religious system. They were also not happy with Elijah being able to shut up the skies and be able to cause the rain to cease because I'm sure in their thinking it meant that this man was more powerful than them and who should be more powerful than the king and queen. So in verse 2, Jezebel vows by the same false gods that were just defeated, ironically, that she will take Elijah's life. Just to make it clear what is going on, she is saying that she will not give up in verse 2 until she has found Elijah and she has killed him. And Elijah just can't take it anymore. And in verse 3, we see this mighty man of God break. It says, then he was afraid and he arose and he ran for his life and he came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and he left his servant there. And can you just see the raw emotion just dripping off of those words. It says that he just took off and he booked into the woods. Uh, I don't know about you, but that doesn't seem like the way the story was supposed to go if I was just doing my through the Bible in a year reading and I just got to the previous chapter. I wouldn't think that that was the direction that this was going to be Headed. If I was not familiar with the story and I had just finished chapter 18, I would think that he would say something like, by God's power, I just took on 450 of your false gods' prophets, so why on earth do you think that I would be afraid of you? And then I would think that there would be a showdown in the woods and Elijah would destroy the wicked king and queen and the last remnant of Baal worship, but that's not happens with all this 
rugged and godly man who only a day earlier was at his most triumphant point, was now running from Jezebel and hiding in the woods. This man who looked fearless in chapter 18 refuses to come out of the cave in chapter 19 because the fear that has gripped him. And it leaves this sort of tension in the story that just kind of makes you scratch your head, which is why I love the Bible. I mean, there's a lot of reasons I love the Bible, but one of the reasons that I love the Bible is it's just so real. And in tensions like this, you can actually see your experience and everyday life. We see the first lesson from discouragement from this early part of the text that sometimes we are most susceptible to discouragement on the heels of our greatest triumphs. And I think that you could get into all kinds of spiritual reasons behind it and we could get into uh, talk about spiritual warfare and all and that's all over the study that we're doing in the book of Ephesians that we hope to be back to um, sooner than later. But I'm going to leave you with one very, very practical reason. <clears throat> I just don't think that we are expecting to be discouraged at those moments of our greatest triumphs. People are not expecting the valley when they're on the mountaintop. And when you talk about the mountaintop, I mean, Elijah was just literally coming down from a literal mountaintop, and then wham, he gets smacked right between the eyes, and he can't process it. He can't process going from this place to this place so quickly. And I want to know, have you ever been there? I know I have, where you just experienced Jesus in such an intimate way. Maybe you took a step of faith, or maybe you just stepped out for the Lord in something that you felt like He was calling to, or you had some sort of victory in an area where you had been struggling over, or whatever it is. You just know that it was a moment when Jesus was so real to you, and then immediately after this time of meeting Jesus in this place of intimacy, boom, you get whacked. And it's hard to process. It's like blowing up the balloon and then all of the air being let out of the balloon at once. And if you've been there, I think you can understand Elijah's discouragement. And if you're in a season like that now, hopefully, as we go through this passage, you can find hope through the ways that God deals with Elijah in the midst of his despair. Because anytime God's children are in despair, the loving Father is right there in ways that we might not even see, as we'll see by Elijah's response. But before I get into that, the second lesson from Elijah's discouragement, look at verses 4 through 10. It says, But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree, and he asked that he might die, saying, it's enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and laid down. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength 
of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb to the mountain of God. And then he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and he said, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword, and I, only I, am left. And they seek my life to take it as well. So the second lesson we see on discouragement from this text is sometimes our greatest times of discouragement come because we can't understand why God would allow bad things to happen when we've been so faithful to do what he has asked of us. At this point, Elijah's just done. He's ready to give up, literally. That's, that's what he's doing in the text. Verse 4, he's saying, God... If this is going to be the life that you're going to call me to, then just go ahead and kill me already. And at the end of the verse, he looks back to the prophets who were martyred before them, and he actually says, Lord, would it be okay if I went and joined them? I mean, how discouraged do you have to be to get to that place? Have any of you ever been there? Elijah's at this moment is at the very pit of despair. And in verse 4, we see Elijah's fundamental reason behind his discouragement. He just can't believe that God would allow all of this to happen when he had been so faithful to serve the Lord with everything that he had. I mean, how, how could you do this to me? Would I have been so faithful to give you everything, Lord? That's, that's what Elijah's struggling with. Have you ever been there? I would say from my own personal life and from the counseling that I've done that this type of discouragement is amongst the most difficult to process. I mean, have you ever been in this place? I have. I've wrestled with God many times. I don't know how you read the Psalms, but some of the Psalms, I, I don't mean to sound irreverent in any way, but some of them just seem as if they're like shouting matches between the psalmist and the Lord. You ever been in one of those shouting matches with the Lord? I, I was just recently in a quick check parking lot. That was, um, I'm sure, interesting to the people in the quick check parking lot. But I can remember this one day when I was driving home and I had just, um, I was driving on my way to preach to a conference, and I was crying and pulling over every couple of miles because I had these chronic migraines, and I couldn't stop vomiting, and I'm on my way to just, I just wanted to go and serve the Lord, and I remember just screaming in the car, God, I'm giving you everything that I have, and you are killing me. Enough is enough. I'm broken, okay? Are you happy? Is this what you wanted? And I'm not proud of it. Um, I'm just telling you the truth. It's one of the reasons why I named my son Elijah, because I've been to the place where Elijah's been in this story, and I can identify the depth of discouragement. That It's something you really can't describe. It's something that you know if you have experienced it. And it's tough to go all in for Jesus, but then to watch your life deteriorate around you at the same time. Have you ever been there? So let me point out something real quick. When you look at verses 5 through 9, 
It's beautiful. It's all about God's provision for Elijah in the midst of this. But Elijah is so discouraged that he can't see all that God is doing for him. I mean, if you look at verse 5, God is sending angelic messengers to strengthen him. Verses 6 through 8, God is miraculously sustaining him and feeding him. And Elijah is so discouraged that he can't even see what God is doing. He can't see that God is sustaining him and feeding him in the midst of this season. And I want you to take note of that. Because in the midst of deep discouragement and despair and verses like this and some others that we're going to hit on, you can see the hand of God intimately laced throughout the whole story. There have been times when I was discouraged enough that it felt as if God was completely absent. You ever been in one of those seasons where it feels as if your prayers are just hitting a season of brass? It feels like you're being obedient, but it's just a dry obedience, and you're just praying, Spirit of God, come and fill me anew, fill me freshly, because it just feels so dry. Only to look back on that discouraging season where it seemed as if God was absent, and to see that God was there sustaining you the entire time. I've got to tell you that if I had any place that I, I want to get to in my sanctification, it's here. A place of confidence where I learn not to doubt because God has shown up and shown himself so faithful and so trustworthy on so many occasions. But it's really easy to trust after God weaves it all together, isn't it? But I, I want to become the man that's able to trust God even when there's no end in sight. And even as I say that now, I'm preaching to my own spirit. Let's move on to a third lesson that we see from Elijah's discouragement. Sometimes in the midst of discouragement, when we need to hear from God the most, we can have a hard time discerning his voice. Look with me at verses 11 through 13. It says, And he said, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord, and the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice that said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? So God tells Elijah, um, get out. It's time to get out of the cave. Come on out to the precipice on the mountain. And he hears these three cataclysmic events, the hurricane, an earthquake, and a mighty fire. And after all three, we are told what? That the Lord is not in these things. What do you think that that must have been like for Elijah? When this guy needs to hear a word from the Lord more than any time ever and add to that the confusion that Elijah never seemed to previously struggle hearing from the Lord in the past. It seems as if it came pretty easy 
for him from the texts that we have about him. But in all of these things that he's experiencing, we're told that the Lord is not in them. If I was there, do you know what I would be thinking? God, this is really confusing. God, I'm not interested in all of the things that you are not in. I just want to find Jesus. But I think that's the whole point. And we're really battling funks or we're battling discouragement. We look for God to show us himself by some great sign so that we know that he's still there. But verse 12 tells us that God ends up appearing to Elijah in the gentle blowing or the low whisper. It wasn't in these big bombastic ways that Elijah thought that he was going to hear the Lord. It was in the low whisper. And I think the point of the low whisper is that God didn't have to do anything to be there for Elijah. He was there the whole time. But sometimes when we are in the midst of discouragement, we're so erratic that we forget to listen for him. Or we begin to grasp for straws and hope to find him. Oh, maybe he's in the hurricane. Maybe he's in the earthquake. And you start looking all around when in reality he's never stopped speaking. I think that this is something that we need to be reminded of from time to time when we're in the midst of discouragement. Which brings me to my final lesson we'll see on discouragement from the story of Elijah. Sometimes discouragement leads us to believe that we're fighting this battle all alone. Look again at verse 13 into verse 14. It says... And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I'm very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I, am the only one that's left, and they seek my life to take it away. The final thing that we see is sometimes discouragement leads us to believe that we're fighting the battle all alone. I love how God deals with Elijah here. Just like he did when he walked the earth in the person of Jesus Christ, he cuts right to the heart of the matter. In verse 13, he basically says, Elijah, what is at the heart of the discouragement? What what's got you to the place that you are in right now? And by the way, that is a great question to ask yourself if you're ever struggling with discouragement. What's at the heart of this? Not just, oh, I don't like this feeling. I want it to go away. Like, what is at the heart of this? Why is this having the impact on my heart that it is? Because it will usually go far deeper than just the external issues that you're facing. And in verse 14, Elijah gets to the heart of it. Basically, he says, I feel alone. I mean, actually, he repeats it multiple times in that verse when he says, I, only I, I alone am left. In the midst of his discouragement, he began to believe that he was in this whole thing by himself. Have you ever been there? I think everybody has, right? Where you feel beaten down. And in the midst of feeling beaten down, you begin to feel isolated. 
Like nobody else would understand, so why bother even sharing your struggles to begin with? That's one of the enemy's greatest tricks to keep somebody mired in the pit of discouragement. You see right here, he has many, many years of practice at this tactic. And when he has you in that place, he has you right where he wants you. In a few moments, we're going to look at how God responds to Elijah in this. We have seen discouragement from Elijah's perspective. Now, as we prepare to close, I want to look at four lessons on discouragement from God's perspective. And all of these come right alongside of how God is dealing with Elijah. And we could see God hand at, move, at work the whole time, even when Elijah can't. So we have four lessons to look at God's faithfulness to Elijah. The first is God will continue to give you what you need in the midst of discouragement. I don't know about you, but I struggle with condemnation, especially after times where my own failure is what led to that time that I'm condemning myself for, because then I could really go down a dark Road. So if I was the guy in this story, and I have been, by the way, I would expect God to say something like, okay, if this is how you're going to act, I'm done with you. I'm going to go choose somebody else. But God doesn't sit there and ridicule Elijah for struggling with fear and discouragement. And brothers and sisters, just a little tangent uh, there are people all around us, people in this body, people who are probably watching right now, people in our neighborhoods who are struggling with fear and discouragement right now. We get the opportunity to be the church. Let us not be the people who mock others' fear or discouragement, but let us be God's empathetic people who see those fears and discouragements and use them as an opportunity to be able to point them to the only one who is truly certain in this world of increasing uncertainty, the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, look at the way that God deals with Elijah's fear. He doesn't come out and say, what the heck are you so fearful about? Why are you being such a big baby, Elijah? Not at all. God does not take a hard posture with him for struggling with fear, anxiety, and discouragement. Do you know what he does? God bakes him a cake. You really look at verses 6 through 8. It says, And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. I love that. God knew what Elijah could handle and what he couldn't, and he knew that he would need strength for the journey ahead of him, so God strengthened him. And Elijah didn't even realize that it was God who was sustaining him in the midst of the discouragement. Friends, I just want to encourage you, if you are going through a time of discouragement right now, you can trust in God's character. He is sustaining you in ways that you are not even aware of at this very moment. He has not abandoned you, and he never will abandon you. In fact, he is feeding you in ways that you will probably not notice until you look back on this season and see the miraculous provision of God that was feeding you and sustaining you the entire time. I mean, has that ever happened to anybody? 
You know, as the, the poem goes, you look back and see the set of footprints was not your own and that you were being carried when you thought that you were the one who was really walking it alone. The second way that God deals with Elijah and his discouragement is he tells him, get up, you still have work to do. Look at verses 15 through 17. And the Lord said to him, go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Haziel, the king over Syria, and Jehu, the son of Nimshi, shall anoint. He does a lot of stuff with a lot of words that are hard to pronounce. But the point is, God tells him, get up. You still have work to do. And you might think, well, how's that supposed to be encouraging as he's going through discouragement? Well, if you're watching right now, and you have ever failed to the point where you think, God, you could never restore what I've done. You could never use me again after the things that I've done. Have you ever felt that way? I remember times where I failed, where I doubted so much that God would ever restore me and use me again. There was this one time early in my faith, I was, I was still working at boat yards and I uh, was going to Bible school. And an old friend that I used to party with called me up and he was like, hey, uh, lawyer, I haven't seen you around in a long time. I've been hearing some crazy stories. I was like, what? Like what? And he says, I heard you're one of those born-agains now. And I, I was so just, I don't know what it was. But I remember just saying, no, 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 no. It's not like that, man. I'm just trying to get my life together, stop messing up. You know, that's all it is. I'm, I'm not one of those crazy. I remember hanging up the phone and the moment just sinking into my heart. I am Peter. I've denied my Lord. I went and sat underneath a sailboat that I was working on and just sat there and held my head in my hands and wept. How could I deny the Lord who had purchased me with his blood? I didn't feel like God could ever use me again after that. Well, imagine what must have been going on in Elijah's mind if he's so discouraged that he thinks that God is through with him. And in the middle of it, God tells him, Elijah, Get up and eat because I've got a job for you. Can you imagine anything more encouraging? God tells him, you still have good work to do, Elijah. I still have confidence that you are the right guy for the job. And I'm going to provide the strength for you to rebound and move forward. And I want to encourage you, if you have failed in some way in your experience, the discouragement that comes with that failure, get up, arise, and eat. You still have work to do because God still has a job for you. He is still calling you unto himself to be his disciple, to take up your cross, to follow, and to die. This thing, this has brought one of the most unexpected but glorious fruits that we've seen so far in, in um, ministry and church planting. It's something that I never even anticipated as being one of the fruits is some bruised and wounded saints have come back 
through our doors, beaten and bruised, thinking that they were just playing the back nine of their life. And if that's any of you who are watching, um, you encourage me so much, only to find out when these people thought, you know, maybe my best years in Christ were behind me, only to see Jesus get really, really big to them again. And it's awesome to see. Every time I get to see that in one of your lives, it is something that we just pause and we rejoice over. Is anyone here just battling? And you, you just want to believe that Jesus can be big to you again. Have you been wrestling with your spirits? And I remember just how huge Jesus was to me back in the beginning. I just want you to be huge again. Lord, there have been many things in my life that have begun to cast a shadow over the importance of you in my life. Lord, I want you to come in and just reign supreme yet again. We'll take courage from the way that God deals with Elijah. You still have work to do, and you still have value. The third lesson for us to grasp on how God dealt with Elijah is you don't have to try to grasp for God in the midst of a discouraging time. He will reveal himself to you. For me, this is probably the biggest lesson to grasp from the interaction between God and Elijah. So often when I'm struggling with discouragement, I just want to be sure to hear God. I want to hear God in the earthquake. I want to hear God in the hurricane or some mighty way that I could be sure that it's Him. So you go looking for God under every rock and around every corner only to grow more confused and then discouraged when you do not find Him revealing Himself. One of the most fundamental truths to remember when you're going through discouragement is God is not far from you. Brothers and sisters, I want to tell you today, God is not far from you. He has not forgotten you. He has not moved on to somebody else instead of you. And what I mean is you are not flying under God's radar He is aware and he will reveal himself to you. And the reality is, much like Elijah, he might already be revealing himself to you, but you just need to trust that he is there in the low, gentle whisper. And the fourth and final lesson is, you are not alone. Right after Elijah tells God how alone he feels in this battle, God gives him a bit of good news. Check out verse 18. It says, Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, every mouth that has not kissed him. You are not alone. There are 7,000 more who are with you on this journey. It's the reason why I wanted to be here today to be able to do a webcast and it was so neat to see all the people chatting and you guys just connecting and having some form of community today because we need to be reminded as God's people that we are not alone, that there are 7,000 more who walk through this life with us who have not bowed their knee to Baal. And not only does God meet him in that way in the midst of his loneliness to show him that he is not alone, in the very next paragraph, we see Elijah meet his best friend, Elisha. 
Let me encourage you if you are battling discouragement today. You are not alone. The only reason that we would be alone is because we've allowed discouragement to do what it did to Elijah, to allow discouragement to cause you to retreat into a place of isolation. And that's why the writer of the book of Hebrews gives two critical words on encouragement. He says, do not forsake the assembling together. That's why it was not an easy decision to not meet today because we see the assembling together as such a critical thing to be able to encourage us on to live this life of following Jesus. And the writer of Hebrews also says to encourage one another day after day as long as it is still called today and I encourage you guys to be that family of encouragement to one another during this season where fear abounds because he knows that our hearts tend towards isolation when we're discouraged and he knows how frail we are that we are designed to need the encouragement that comes to the body of Christ so let me remind you as we close and we're about to partake of communion, whoever wants to partake of communion. There are 7,000 more who have not bowed their knee to bail. If you're listening today with any discouragement or fear in your heart, the body of Christ is here for you, and God has given you a special church. If you're going to be a body that is going to get real, and have meaningful relationships, and not just our Sunday best. It starts with getting real with our discouragements. Sometimes the greatest gift that you could share with somebody is allowing them to enter into your brokenness and to get their hands dirty with you. There are people here today. If you have a prayer request, if you have a need, please just send them along and the elders are committed to be praying for you. Um, I'm going to pray and I'm going to take us into a time of communion. Lord, thank you for uh, just the encouragement that comes through your word. I pray that um, just now as we seek you in in prayer, as we seek you um, through communion, Lord, we ask that uh, we would just sense your nearness. And God, as we just were even speaking about the importance of the body to bring encouragement to one another, I pray that you would help us to find creative ways to encourage one another. Yes, it's in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, one of the things that we want to honor before we go to communion, um, I know that there are some um, groups of people and s- that are uh, watching uh, this together. Um, I would encourage you guys, let's just take five minutes to pray, whether you're there watching um, alone on a laptop or if you've got a group of people there with you. um, It is awesome that we have been called as a nation to a national day of prayer. Um, It's sad in the current divisive political climate that even to begin to bring it up, I feel as if you almost have to warn against um, political speech. Um, This isn't about politics. We have been asked as the church, as the people of God, we've been asked to wield our most powerful weapon. We have been invited 
to come and put our God on display. So uh, I'm just going to sit here um, silently and pray for a few minutes and pray through some of the requests that any of you have had. If you have need of prayer, you can um, text over some prayer requests to me, and um, we'll be praying for that. And in a couple minutes, I'll lead us in a time of communion. So I encourage you to take some time to pray as well.